So we have two choices really tonight. Uh, we can go ahead and we can go further. Uh, we had left off about saying a bracha. We can talk about saying a bracha and this is to say that my drama, whether or not we could do that or not. And then the Mahlogas, or since uh, this is definitely our last class before Yom Kippur, we can go ahead and we could just talk Yom Kippur and Shubham. So I'm good either way. I have no preference. There has been probably going to be no, because obviously nobody prepared anything for it. But can we talk a little bit about the circus? Because nobody ever talks about circus because of how it's placed. About circus? Okay, great. And any questions? Okay, well, we'll move we'll backwards. Let us start with some stuff. Go backwards. Actually, we can't go backwards. We're going to go backwards. We're, we're, we're going to go backwards, but not backwards. Uh, where you think? Um, Okay, so the Yabin Tobin season that we find ourselves uh, in. So when does that begin? Oh, Rosh Hashanah. Great. Anything else? Anybody want to go back further? Um, I had a teacher in seminary that said the preparation for El, which is the preparation for Tishrei, begins after Sukkot. No, no. Oh, he said that it was by. Um, like the tissue because that was because that shows you like what happens if you don't do elbow and tissue very well. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I'm not gonna go that um dark. Uh, but I am gonna go back to we're gonna go back to the beginning of the theory. Okay. So uh what what what's unique about um the three weeks, and we'll we'll just for simplicity we'll try and focus really on uh on the on and that is that um, we know from the Gemara Yuma. So the second base of Mikdash was destroyed. Why? What, what did we do or did we not do? Sinasthenim. Sinasthenim. Right? So is baseless hatred. No reason for it. There's a way we could go ahead and uh, we, could, we could avoid hating other people. So we know exactly what the hate is. We know exactly what the sin is which caused the Gemara Mesa of Mikdash. So if we know what the hate is, and we're spending a day commemorating, crying over the loss of the Besamikdash, what should we be doing on Dishnabab again and again and again? Sandu, Agadnu, Razalnu, Sinasinamnu, whatever, however you're going to go ahead and you're going to conjugate. So we should say all of those things. We should have a daily, we should go ahead and we should definitely begin. It's not as if it's something where we don't know what the Adair was. We can't really confess the sin because. What are we going to confess if we don't know what the Aveir is? Hazal are very clear what exactly the Aveir is. It is Sinaski. So we should definitely be doing some sort of Bidui at that time because that's a process. Everybody knows that the Aveir was part of the Veyan. You do Shuva on that Aveir, you fix it, and then everything is worth it. That's what, on all the videos which you watch on Tishabab, that's what they tell us. Stop taking Lashadara, and then the Besamitas will be rebuilt. Start loving everybody. Avastin on the Besamitas is going to be rebuilt. So we know exactly what the process is, and amazingly, what doesn't happen? No beating. Nothing at all. It's an astonishing thing. We know exactly what happened. We know why it happened, because Chazal tells us why it happened. And there's no beating. So what do we accomplish on this Shabbat? No, no problem. What do we do on this book? I mean, you know what we do. We sit on the floor. And we, 
So when we're not doing shuvah, what are we doing instead of shuvah? We mourn, right? We cry. We sit on the floor, we say kinos, we cry, we feel bad. Right? So we get up to the point of tshuva, but we don't actually do tshuva. Well, this could be our florata stage in tshuva. We're not up to the vigos yet. Okay, so you're, you're, you're ahead. I don't even think we're going to get up about this. So what stage are we in uh, on Tishvab if we're not actually doing tshuva, which we should do? A similar idea, which eventually we'll, we'll, hopefully we'll close it this loop at some point, is um, at the end, of, if you were designing Tishvab, and you want to design Tishvab in a way which is impactful, which the way people will feel the loss of Esamikosh, but when we come out of Tishvab, there's going to be a little bit, a bit of inspiration, like they say, that Mashiach is born on Tishvab, that by the midday, we're already beginning to see a little bit of light at the end of the, uh, the end of the tunnel. What would be the best way to conclude Tishvab? If you were designing Tishvab, what would be the most, the, the, the most inspiring way that you could walk out of Tishvab? How close? We should say, Lashon HaBav Yishalani. But wouldn't that be a wonderful way to end Tishvab? We're crying the loss of Esamitr. We're, we're crying over the destruction of Yishalani. At the end of the day, as we're going out of Tishvab, when we sat and we mourned and we felt bad and we cried and we did all those stuff, okay, now let's have a little bit of hope. We can now look up and we say, Lashon HaBav Yishalani. And it's not like it's so far-fetched to end things with, with Lashon HaBav Yishalani. We do it at the end of Pesach Seder. That's something we do. And we do it at the end of Yom Kippur. What does Lashon HaBav Yishalani do with Yom Kippur? It's the end of the series. It's the end of whatever it is. Whatever it is, maybe because we're thinking a lot about the Beis because the Yom Kippur Avoda is the main part of what we say on Musaf. But there, we seem to have the presence of mind to say the Shana Babi But the end of Tishabah, when we're actually mourning for the Beis the destruction of the Beis and the loss of Yishalayim, we don't we don't end that day with the Shana Babi Yeah. So we may need to be in. A more clean state state before we can think of ourselves and be neutralized, like after you can't really just fucking be fired. Um so that could be. But we will we'll try and build a little bit more towards it. Okay. Um for like the next year because that means the base of victim would not be filled. I mean for Tisha Bath, because we're learning the Lost the base of Mikdash. So, why would we want to warn the base of Mikdash again? Because obviously, we wanted to be healed, right? So, that's right. We would say, Lashan Habab Yushalan, right? We're going to be in Yushalan Habriyat. Why would we need the more base of Mikdash already built? Oh, right. We're going to end, then we'll be done, right? Our hope is, we've done about Yushalan, and no, no more dish What does that mean? Lashan Habab next year, Yushalan Habriyat, that what we should be in Yushalan, which would be rebuilt. Rebuilt meaning Besamikdash. So, so we're, we're, we're dreaming about this future event which we would like to take place. And seemingly the best time to dream about that would be right after on the heels of our morning that we lost the Besamikdash. That would seem to be the best time. Okay. Let me ask you another question, which will help us uh, help transition us over to, uh, to where we eventually want to go. Um, What's the story of Korban Besam? Oh, let me say this. Megillus Eichat tells what story? Korban Besam. Right. 
And who are the main players? Can we go to Asa? Right. Counting on your hand, how many times the Bukhan Nets are mentioned in, in Megillus Eha? No. But who is mentioned by name in Megillus Eha? Nobody. Exactly. Okay, so we sit down. Uh, I don't know how many of you read Kinos in English. Hopefully, all of you. Not, and if you happen to be uh, not in your shalim, have the uh, next session of so you'll make sure that you do say it uh, uh, in English. But in the keynotes, so Megillah's Echa, although Megillah's generally tell stories, Megillah's Esther, there's a story. There's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. Pretty clear narrative in the storyline. Megillah's Rus is pretty good storyline, exciting drama, all sorts of exciting things. Uh, Sefer Yoda. Story, beginning, middle, end, you got all the components of the, of the story over there. So Megillah generally tells stories. Obviously, Jericho doesn't, that's it's not, it's not a story that, that there is to tell. But generally, when we want to talk about an event, we have the capacity to be able to write things over which recount facts and tell a story. So it's not as if in Tanakh we're opposed to telling stories. And yet, Megillah doesn't tell a story. It talks about the devastation, the response to it. We, we get to uh, somewhat of an image of what uh, life was like immediately following the forefront of the first base of the Dutch, but we don't get the story of what the Jews were doing, the Navi coming and saying, you better stop, you better stop, you stop. They're ignoring that, and then the enemy's coming in and it's through the process of destroying the base of the None of that is retold. Before we get to your question, in Kinos, how much of the story is retold? Is recounted? Unfair question because who knows what it says in Kinos. So I'll tell you, it doesn't tell the story at all. Right? One of the difficulties we have with Kinos is that it's written very poetically. Uh, uh, the, uh, the authors of the Kinos literally make up words, they make up their own conjugations of words, and they make things which are nouns into verbs and verbs into nouns, and they do all sorts of fancy stuff with uh, with Lash and Kodesh, uh, but it doesn't tell the story. It's a lot of pain, it's a lot of anguish. It's a lot of phrases, but it's not really a story. So it's an amazing thing that we spend the whole time uh, mourning the destruction of the base on the Dutch, Korba base on the Dutch, and we never tell the story of Korba base on the Dutch. Which is surprising. If we're supposed to learn a lesson from this, if there's something, if there's a reason why we're doing it, why can't we just tell the story? If we know the story better, then we'll, we'll uh, absorb the lesson better. And if I absorb the lesson better, then I can fix it moving forward. But we don't do any of that. Yes. So, uh, I was going to mention that. Um, didn't, or maybe say, because Miguel, it was written before the actual event took place, Miguel has to do with not writing down words from the story. Yes, but it was with Nevoa. So, you know, if we're going to start the Nevoaizing things, making up words. So, we can go ahead and uh, maybe we can go ahead and recount some of that story. But at the very least, in Kinos, which it is, Kinos are definitely written afterwards. Hundreds of years afterwards. What? Tishma. On the day. Uh, we say a few at night, and then we say most of them during the day. Wouldn't the Kino and the Megillah just recounting the devastation be more important to us today? As in, because it was trying to get us to feel mourning, that it should relate to feelings that we should still be feeling when they to make that well, but, 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 the, but the feelings revolve around the, the event, right? It revolves around the loss of this image. That's where the feelings are coming from. It can also be about the continued absence of it. 
Um, it could be, but the continued absence would be more um, strongly felt in the event that there was story that you know the beginning of the story that were anyway. Okay, so these are questions which are important questions, which are essential questions that uh, that you want to think about. Come the three weeks, come Tishabov, all of that. So the reason why on Tishabov we don't tell a story is because, and somebody mentioned this along the way, is because we can't. What stops the person from being able to tell the story? So it stops the person from being able to tell the story is trauma. So Tishabov, Churba Besamikdash, was a national trauma which Chai Yisrael experienced. They lost their sense of safety, they lost their sense of security, they lost their home, they lost their relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Everything about Chai Yisrael's existence dramatically changed almost in, in, almost in an instance. One of the first kiddos which we say is shabas, is everything came to a stop. Everything which we knew about life stopped, halted at that moment of Korban Beis Amikdash. Even though the Nevi'im had been saying, you better stop, you know, the Beis Amikdash is going to be destroyed. Nobody really thought it was going to be destroyed. And then it was destroyed. It was like suddenly life has just so dramatically changed, such a traumatic experience in trauma victims is that, they're, they're, that in their brain, there's life before trauma and life after trauma. And there's no continuity between those two parts of life. There's a huge disconnect between those two parts of life. And when a person experiences capital T trauma, like a traumatic event where people, you know, hospitalum die or people almost die or something like that. So the, the when the brain goes into, um, we got to stay alive mode. So, just the way the transport uh, wired the brain. So what happens is, is that um, you're familiar with the 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 uh, term um, fight or flight. Yes. So fight or flight is. Yeah, that's what's fight about. Oh, um, basically, you you're not telling things like kick them and like it's like it's not really like life or death situation, but everybody's telling you something when they're really stressed. It's basically like. Everything shuts down, but you're like, no, you have to get through it. So you, you're just kind of on like autopilot and you don't really know what you're doing, but you're kind of just going through the motions and you're just like getting. You either fight, you either to survive, or you don't. Or you run as fast as you can to survive. Try one of those two things. Right? So one of the things, very, very good. So that's the set. And one of the things which happens is, is the part of the brain which consolidates memory, which you would need to tell over story. So that part of the brain doesn't need blood flow when you're running for your life. So that part essentially is just getting dialed down, if not shut off altogether, because that's you don't need to tell a story if you're going to be dead. <laughs> that's just the way the, uh, the the brain will always try and maintain the the system, maintain the uh, the life of the person, and uh, you know the extremities become uh, irrelevant. You get a shot of adrenaline, so you don't feel as much pain. There's all sorts of things, amazing things happen in the body as soon as a threat is detected. But one of those things is that they can't tell a story. You speak to people who, uh, you know, uh, you know, if, if some, you know, you you hear therapists talk about interviewing people who were in the building or nearby 9/11 when the twin towers were a thing, and they they will tell you that the people who actually were there at the time they cannot tell the story. They were they 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 use phrases similar to what we do in kinos. They can say a phrase here. They can say a phrase there. They can say, they can they have little pieces and tidbits of information. 
but they can't put it together into this is what's happening at nine o'clock, this is what's happening at nine fifteen, this is nine thirty, this is nine forty-five, this is ten o'clock. They cannot piece together all of those things because the brain wasn't active in a way where memory could be consolidated and be able to remember. And that's the experience of Yisrael on Tishabov, is we go into trauma brain. And there's no story to tell because we can't tell. So it's not like we're opposed to telling stories. We, we tell plenty of stories. But we can't tell the story because we can't put the information together because it was so traumatic to our collective consciousness that we're incapable of actually being able to tell the story. I just have a random question about the trauma thing. Yeah. Um, does that also like apply when it's like a long-term trauma, like the Holocaust? Like it's not just like a moment. So complex trauma can also do that. It has a slightly different uh can have a different impact on the brain because it's not a, a single event or it's not a major event, which that has so, like uh, people talk about their experience in the Holocaust, obviously they remember. Um, yeah, not so much. A lot of them don't talk about their experience. No, a lot of them say no to do, like, they're not making it up. No, 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 they're not again. So one of the things which the brain does very well is it fills in gaps in information, even though you don't really, you know, it's not really there. Or you just, you know, the more, the more you tell a story, the more details you can just put in a little detail here and there, and then by the time you end up telling the story 20 years later, it's actually very different than what really took place. Yeah, so we're, 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 the brain is very good at uh, filling in uh, missing information. Yeah. Doesn't the Gemara retell these exact stories of what happened during the forefront of the second base breakers? Yes. So was that not as traumatic, or that, 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 that's not what we do on Tishabov? So we we know certain parts of it, but on Tishabov, what we're supposed to experience is as if we are in the moment. So that's why there's Avelos. The Avelis is the fact that why exactly it's Avelis is it is a different part, but it, it's Avelis because we're supposed to be experiencing the event in real time. So we can talk about that afterwards because we have the summer about it. We have people who were there. Um, the Kleisenberg Rebbe was uh, an amazing individual, the one who survived the, the Holocaust. Somehow he his detachment was so immense and so strong that I don't think he ever went into trauma brain. With all of the horrific things that she experienced, the loss of his wife and his children and almost his entire community, everybody, you know, they were all killed, and he was able to maintain presence of mind uh, throughout throughout the experience. I don't know how. It's, it's beyond my ability to understand how we can go ahead and do so, but, but he did. So certain, certain great people, they they can just uh, maintain their equilibrium and their, uh, their presence of mind. So... You're saying that um, the whole not telling the story thing was quick, but Yirmiyahu was great enough that he could have written down Echo with that presence of mind. He was able to have Nivua at the time, and Nivua requires Simpa. You don't have Nivua if your brain is in a, in a good state of mind, can be impaired. Nivua won't come down. So somehow he was able to, to manage that. Fine, so collectively, not. So even if he himself could have known the entire story, he didn't write it down because Benay Israel wouldn't have been able to take it. It's, it's, it's too much. So there, 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 a, a woman who's, a, a, I think she's a the trauma therapist. So she talks about uh, somebody that, uh, somebody who's in the Twin Towers, I think, or somebody who's right outside the building, whatever, you know, terribly traumatized what happened. And she said the woman couldn't talk about it. And the first thing that the woman was able to say was, I can see the color of their ties. And then she would ask like another question, and all she could respond is, I can see the color of their ties. 
And she just kept saying that phrase again and again. She was like, that, that the only thing which was seared into her memory was you could see the color of the ties that the people were dumping out of the building. That was the trauma. The, the people were dumping out. I could see the color of their ties. That's all she could get out. That's all she could say. So it's it, it's like it, it, it's mind-boggling to think how the brain was just so panicked at that time that there was just one picture she saw, and that's all she could put together. So that's what Kali Yisrael experienced, and that's why there's there, there, there's there's no there's no um, there's no story to tell because we're incapable of telling the story. Now, when a person comes out of trauma, so the, the nature of trauma is, is that it creates a sense of disconnect. Person becomes disconnected from themselves, become disconnected from the people around them, from family and friends around them. Most times they end up feeling disconnected from our brother. There's all sorts of different effects from that. And Yisrael and Tishabah, when the when Kurbaisamita takes place, so Yisrael is in that capital T trauma state, disconnected from everything. So what's the Baruch Hu do? He, he, he's the one who exiled them. He's the one who destroyed the Mesa He's the one who destroyed Yushalai. He's the one who went back up to Shemayim and said, you know what? It's now a time of Hester Pondon. I'm not going to conceal myself. So Gershbarfu did all of that. But there's something happens in between Tishabov and Rosh Hashanah. There's seven weeks in between Tishabov and Rosh Hashanah. Do you know what those seven weeks are called? Plus. Well, that's what we're in now. That's what we're going to good. We're going to get to that. It's the Shiva Dinachanto. Shiva 7, Dinachanto Consolation. So what does it mean? It's, the, the, in the first one said, that's the one we have. The is Nachamu Nachamu Ami. What does Nachamu Nachamu Ami mean? What? That's one of my favorite Nagans. Yes. So what, what does it mean? Be comforted by to be comforted. So who, who needs comfort? Right. So, but what, what's, what, why is the Kesh Why is the Kesh Baruch say, you know what? You guys did this to yourselves. Deal with it. I, I sent you to Vim who warned you that this is going to happen if you guys uh, don't comply, if you don't get yourself in line with uh, Torah mitzvahs. And I warned you. Figure it out. Tough love. So, what's the Kesh Baruch say? I'm going to make the first step. I'm going to make first because I realize now that Klai Yisrael not to be regretted, but I realize that Klai Yisrael is in such a state of panic and such disconnect that I, I need to make the first step. I need to build up the resilience. I need to build up their strength, their strength of their, their their inner emotional strength, because we need to fix this at some point. Right? They have to do shuba because we know what the avera is. We know that it was Ashnahar, We know that it was sinasina. All of that has to be addressed. We're not getting a pass. Because Baruch will destroy those things because we did bad things. But when one is, do you, uh, you know, uh, um, they say you're, you know, you warned your child, don't climb the tree, don't climb the tree, don't climb the tree. You could fall and you could break your arm, you could fall and break your arm. And then what happens? Oh, they fall and break your arm. So what do you say? You say, I told you so. <laughs> is that a time to say, I told you so? Hopefully not. Well, maybe it's But hopefully not. Hopefully, what you say is, oh my gosh. Let's go get some ice. Let's go to the hospital. Let's do it. You, you, you soothe them first. Make sure that they feel better. And then when they're paying two weeks later and their arm is still bothering them or it's really itchy inside, it's really annoying to them, then you can say to them, you know what? I did warn you not to climb the tree. And you went ahead and you did so. You should probably listen to your wise parents because they have more life experience than you. But in the moment of pain, that's not a time for muscle. That's not a time to say, I told you so. 
In the moment of pain, they need to be sued. The person who's in pain needs to be sued. So the Shiva the Nechemta, those seven weeks of consolation, Akash Baruch was saying, you're in tremendous pain. We're going to get to the other stuff later on. I'm going to give you that schmooze. We're going to address it. But right now, I'm going to soothe your pain. And there's seven weeks of consolation. So it's three weeks from Shiva to get into the depth of the emotion, the pain of the emotion. And then it's so deep, and we're in so much pain collectively as the nation, Akash Baruch says, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and get a happy this. And I'll make the first move. I'm going to be the one who soothes you and make sure that you feel confident and you feel strong because I don't know how many of you have truly apologized to a person that you've wronged, actually had to go up to them personally, uh, aware that they may not take it well, they're going to be offended, they're going to be upset by it, by saying, I need to do this anyways because this is what needs to be done. Apologizing is a very scary endeavor. So to do so sincerely, not just you know before in the that doesn't mean anything. But a real apology takes a lot of strength. In order to apologize, what do you need? What what, mean, what takes place inside of you before you can apologize? What do you realize could, the outcome could be? What they say no. So here you're trying to make things better, and they say no. So for you to subject yourself to that, you need to be resilient. You need to know that that may be rejected, and then what are you going to do? Here you are, you make yourself vulnerable. I tried to apologize. I tried to make a gesture which would be appreciated and which would be uh, which would be received, but it takes a lot of strength to subject yourself to that because nobody likes rejection. And certainly nobody likes rejection when the rejection is going to be um, such something which is um, after you make yourself vulnerable. So before we can go ahead and Baruch knows, before we can go ahead and take responsibility for the Averas of Lashon Hara and Sinastinam and all those things, the first thing Avarish Baruch says, I don't want an apology from you because you can't do it yet. The first thing we need to do is we need to make sure that you're strong. We need to take you out of your trauma circumstance. We need to take you out of your trauma wave. We need to calm you down, get you into a stronger place. I want you to know, Akash Mahaprabhu says, that I love you unconditionally. Now, if you know that the person you're apologizing loves you unconditionally, that makes it easier. Because even if they are rejected initially, you know that it's not coming from a place of hate. It's coming from some other place. But ultimately, they love you unconditionally, and eventually they're going to accept it. So Gershberkwa says you can't apologize until you're ready, until you feel strong enough to do so. So that's why the calendar has seven weeks of consolation, where Gershberkwa keeps reminding us, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. So that we absorb that message that even after Florba Mesonitash, even after he, in a sense, lashed out at us, and he destroyed the Mesonitash, and he destroyed Yushalayim, and sent us into exile all over the globe, Akashbrachim said, don't think that means I don't love you. I still love you, but this is just something which had to happen. We, we couldn't, the relationship as it existed beforehand couldn't continue in that circumstance, so I had to do this. We're going to get through this. So, seven weeks of Nechama, uh, seven weeks of consolation, so at the end of that, we're feeling better about ourselves. So what's the first thing which happens after that? Once we're feeling better about ourselves? Rosh Hashanah. Right? So what happens on Rosh Hashanah? No, it is it is a serious way too, but what's what's the main thrust? What are we trying to accomplish on Rosh Hashanah? What's our main focus? Proud Hashem. Proud Hashem. 
So in the context of our discussion over here, so how does that fit in? We lost connection with them on Tentagon, so now that he built a connection up, we're giving back, and now we're making this stuff. We're now recognizing, right? Uh, ultimately, our avail was we weren't listening to God. Like he had rules, he had expectations of us, and we were disregarding that. We decided we had our own agenda, and we completely ignored God's agenda. So the first step in the Shuvah process is not even apologizing for what we did, but it's recognizing you are God. We're subservient. We are your loyal subjects. You decide what we should do. It's not we who decide what we're going to do. We're going to fit into your system rather than having our own agenda. And that's what we spend Rosh Hashanah doing. And that's why ultimately Rosh Hashanah are considered to be two of the Aserah Sumei Tshuva. Something I talked about in Shul this, uh, this year, that uh, many of but this year again, that Tshuva um, uh, is usually characterized by saying Slegos, saying Vidui, apologizing to Abed Baruch for what we did, and Rosh Hashanah are two of the ten days of the Sarasume Tshuva, and we don't do any Tshuva whatsoever on those two days. Not even a hint of Tshuva. By Svarim, it's my focus, but by Svarim, even in the Avinim al they don't say Chatanul Lufanecha. Because it's too much of a mention of sin on Rosh Hashanah. We don't mention sin on, on Rosh Hashanah. Right? You know, people have the, the middle Nazi nuts on Rosh Hashanah because of the Gematria faith. But even something which hints at a sin, the Gematria is not even the exact Gematria sin. But even something which hints at that is something which we avoid because that's not the purpose of the day. The purpose of the day is what standard are we going to be measured by? Who makes the rules? It, 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 there's going to be a judgment. It's just a simple uh, definition of terms. If there's going to be a day of judgment, that means that there has to be a judge, and there has to be things that are being judged about. There has to be a standard, an expected standard, which we're supposed to follow. There's no standards. What's the judgment on? Right, so a spelling test is the day of judgment. Do you know the spelling words? You don't know the spelling words. So we know what, what the expectation is. We know, and then we can measure, do you know 100% of the words? You know 90% of the words? You know 75% of the words? We have a means of judging because we know what the expectation is, and now we, could, uh, we can see whether we are meeting that standard or not. So before we can actually do tshuva for our favors which were done, we have to decide what's the standard of measure. The standard of measure is you are Kodesh Baruch you're the Malach. So you're going to set the agenda. You're going to decide what the expectations are. And we submit to that and we accept that. All of that, we're comfortable with that. All of that is perfect for us. Now, once we do that, then we say, Oy vede, I've done a lot of bad things. So now that I realize that it's Hashem's agenda rather than our own personal agenda, that's how we're going to be measured. So then we have to say, well, I now realize that all the times I did X, Y, Z, all of these things, that was because I was prioritizing my agenda rather than God's. And that's the ultimate Avera. Facebook doesn't care about particular Averas one way or the other. Those are not what's important. What's important is, I said to do this, you didn't listen. Whatever I told you to do, it, that is not so important. The important thing is, you didn't listen to me. You didn't accept me as your mouth. You didn't treat me as your mouth, that I am setting the agenda. So then, once we know that HaKadosh Baruch you are the mouth, and you set the agenda, and it's your standards by which we're going to be measured, then I begin to think about, okay, now let's go over 613 mitzvahs, let's go over Shulchanar. What things was I supposed to do that I didn't do? What were things which I was not supposed to do, which I did do? Oy vey, 
Hashanu, Bagadu, Gazalu, and then we actually go through the whole process of beginning to do real tshuva and regret and remorse and vidu and all of those things for the Avevas because number one is we had time to recover from the trauma. Number two, during that recovery time, Akash Baruch Hu told us how much he loves us, so we're not afraid to admit to it anymore that he's going to reject us. So then we can actually do all of that vidu. And we can go through that entire process. That entire process culminates with Yom Kippur. Right? So what's special about Yom Kippur? Where, where do we go on Yom Kippur? What happens to us on Yom Kippur? What? We get Kapara. Asking for forgiveness. Asking for forgiveness. Great. And what, but how, where, where does that put us? A new slate. A new slate. Right? But in Shabbat Shuvah, what's the opening words of the Haftar? Oh, so this is what I'm talking about here. Shabbat Shuvah. Shabbat Shuvah. Repent, Israel. Ad means? Until? Shabbat when you think about Shuvah, right? I need, I, I, need I need to go ahead and I need to do Shuvah. So many people, I think, think that Shuvah is, the process of Shuvah is, on January 1st, I couldn't resist the temptation and I just had to have a double bacon cheeseburger. It was just too much. It smelled too good. So it was right next to, it wouldn't be a double bacon cheeseburger, so it was right next to this uh, barbecue restaurant when the wind is going from west to east, so sometimes, even in Shul, you could smell that barbecue which was coming in, and it was it was just irresistible, and I just couldn't I, I couldn't resist anymore. So I went in and I had the uh, the uh, the rinse from uh, from house. Okay, so now I'm going to do tshuva. So where does tshuva take me? Takes me to December thirty first, right? Because tshuva is I go back to the avera. I regret the Avera, I have remorse over the Avera. I, I, I don't want to have any shot, just any relationship with that Avera whatsoever. So what I need to go back is, I need to go backwards in time until December 31st. And then, as if we rewrite history, and I rewrite history in a way which doesn't include that Avera. I think many people see Chuba as their process. I'm just trying to undo the Avera. Yeah? Those of you who have WhatsApp, you now have those channels at the bottom, I think. Yes. Yeah, a super annoying thing. So apparently you can't, you, the, the only answer that they have right now of how to get rid of it, my son and I were trying to do it last night, is what you need to do is, first, you save up, you know, you back up all your thing wherever it gets backed up, you uninstall, and then you reinstall one, a, a version of WhatsApp from before September 13th. That's what you put in. How do you do that? What? Is that a seven? What do you mean that, Mr. No, no, just be different. How do you do that? the you, you could like Google, you, you Google uh, something, uh, I forgot what it was, but some like old versions of Google, uh, old versions of WhatsApp. It will give you a list of all the different things that they come out of every other day, like 30 days worth of stuff. So it didn't work for me, but apparently people found that it's about what, but, but that's in some ways, that's what we think Shuba does. I'm just going to go back to an earlier setting, an earlier update, which doesn't include the Avera now, and I'm good to go. I've undone the Avera. Yeah. So what does that have to do with Amashem Lokecha? December 31st, before I, before I ate those barbecue ribs from the trade restaurant, was I sitting next to a French I know you probably think I was, but I wasn't, right? 
Well, the only thing which happened, the only change between December 31st and January 1st was just whether I ate those ribs. December 31st, I didn't. January 1st, I didn't. So the process of truth is just undo that away. I go back to that earlier setting that's still not out of Shemokesh. Where out of Shemokesh comes from? Why am I going all the way up to Hakadosh throw? What does that do with Shuba? Shuba is just undoing the Avera. Are we undoing going to such a previous setting to before the Rabbanu to Hakadosh? Is it? But is that is that your existence? Is that it's, your reality? It's our collective reality. Okay. Can you really undo an Avera? That's now worse. You like basically you make sure you don't do it again, but you can't undo what you did. Um, so yeah, so that to do what is like you're sorry for what you did, but it doesn't undo what you did. No, it's like you don't get the scene, but like, yeah, so I was asking the next question, and that is, uh, using my example, when I went ahead and ate those ribs on January 1st, but I ate those ribs on January 1st, so uh, now on January 2nd, am I allowed to eat those ribs? No. Tell me I'm kidding. Am I allowed to eat those ribs? No. So what tells me not to eat those ribs? Is it is is my chuba what tells me not to eat those ribs? God. No, what tells me not to eat those ribs? God who said thou shalt not eat those ribs. Specifically like that, like that you said not to eat Right. When they said not to eat trade. Yeah. Was that answer in place on January 1st? Yeah. Was it in place on December 31st? Yeah. Is it going to be in place on uh, whatever, September or whatever day? No, people send me. It's the exact same mystery. So, Shuba so, isn't what tells me I'm not allowed to eat those ribs. I was never allowed to eat those ribs. So, so what, what does Shuba do for me? I just have to stop doing the other Right. Oh, I'm sorry. So I so I don't need the mitzvah of chuba to, to stop doing the aver. I have to stop doing the aver because the Torah says don't do the aver. What is the what what is the mitzvah of chuba coming to do that the averas in the Torah already tell me that I'm not allowed to do? It's not just about not to do it. You should be sorry for either regret doing it in the first place and then not do that again. No. So but the, the main if the whole point is compliance. To make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. So why do I think you can feel bad? I don't want you to go ahead and you know be waving the ribs, you know, the sizzling ribs in front of me saying, you're not gonna do it this time because you're gonna you feel bad the last time, so don't do it. No, not like that. You should like let's say you did something bad, you should apologize for doing something bad. And then make sure you don't do it again. You don't you don't just like go over life and be like, okay, I did something wrong. Okay, so Shuba may be the apology. Okay, good. Both. Problem. They didn't just be either. Both meaning Both and, and not doing it. Regretting and not doing it. It's all two parts. These are four persons. Regret. Yeah. I think a part to it is regretting, but like the Iker of Shuba is to come close to Kodesh Morocco. And like, like, for example, just like, what is it going to be like? What, what is it about Shuba? It's like someone who's yearning for more growth. Like, I feel like these days, like, I was listening to Sharon, who's saying that, like, like, um, Brian Cohen, who's saying that, um, people start going around the world about Bali Shuba. But at the end of the day, like, someone who's about Shuba, someone who's yearning for more growth, and someone who wants to grow more. So that's the same thing with us. Like, and they were all Bali Shuba, and we all want to grow and, like, come close to Kadashvara. But 
So like, I think like that, and that's what the true process, like start with true, just all about like recognizing that Kaddish Baruch is a king and he's our, he's our God and he's our father and we have to come close to that and yearning for that relationship with that. Right. That's, that's, so that is, that's where the early saying is, is explaining that Shuvah isn't simply that I'm going to read my history and try and eradicate that Avera from my, my record. And sometimes you get, to, I don't know about you guys, sometimes you get a bunch of traffic violations. <laughs> if they want to leave it on your record, if it's on your record, it's going to be a possibility. Um, then it's something which will cost you a lot in car insurance and all sorts of ramifications. And sometimes the only way to go ahead and do that is you have to hire a lawyer who charges a lot of money for no particular reason and you're desperate and you can charge that much money. And then he goes ahead and he speaks to the judge and he you know, just moves with the judge for a couple of minutes and says, oh yeah, what were we here for? Oh yeah, you just expunge these, uh, these violations from the record. And the judge says, yeah, no problem, Bob. And then they go ahead and they just erase it and then it's as if it never happened. So Shuba isn't simply erasing the record. That's not what we're trying to do. Uh, ultimately, we recognize that if Shuba needs to be done, so Shuba is, uh, every Avera is, in a sense, a rebellion against God. Again, because you put your agenda ahead of God's, ahead of a Kedushvarkus. And Shuba is, what I want to do is I want to uh, be better connected with myself, which allows me to be better connected with God, to become, really, the best version of myself. So the, the, the draw I have, the availers which I commit, they get in the way of me becoming the best version of myself that I can be. And if those availers are there and they're an impediment, they're getting in the way for me becoming the best version of myself, then I'm not going to be able to reach HaKadosh Baruch I reach HaKadosh Baruch Hu. One reaches HaKadosh Baruch Hu when they become the best version of themselves. When they're honest with themselves, they're authentic with themselves. When you reach that pure state of authenticity within yourself, that is where God is. That's where your neshama is, and neshama is the connection that you have with God, whatever exactly that means. But we'll just take the words as is. But that is the connection that I have with God. The more authentic and honest and real I am with myself, the closer you get to Akash Baruch. So therefore, the tshuva process isn't simply to eradicate the Avera, the eradication of the Veira allows me to be more real. It allows me to be more authentic with myself. And the more real and authentic I am with myself, the closer I get, the more elevated I become, and the closer I get to Akash Baruch. So real tshuva isn't even so much about the Aveira. It is, because you have to identify, because you have to see what those impediments are. And you have to figure out why it is that you allowed those temptations to prevent you from being authentic. What was the draw? What was tempting you in what was keeping you away from a kind of world. Was it peer pressure? Was it this pressure? Was it whatever it happens to be is, is not so important, but you have to figure out what exactly was getting in the way of you being completely honest or authentic with yourself, because that's really what you need to address. When you address that, so then I don't need to do those abeyments anymore. I don't need to see Bashar Haradah so-and-so anymore, because whatever they're doing has, has nothing to do with my authenticity. So why would I waste my time? Why would I focus my attention on what somebody else is doing and speak negatively about them? Why would I engage in sinas tina? How does that help me be more authentic with myself? It usually indicates that an inauthentic part of yourself which you're struggling with, and therefore, rather than thinking about it honestly and, and personally, you'll just project that outwards. And you'll be critical of other people because that will distract you from having to focus on yourself. So all of that Avera, which we did, the Sinasina, the Lashon Har, all of that is, 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 
describes or captures the fact that we were inauthentic and we were not real with ourselves. So therefore, the whole point of Shuba process, the accessory Shuba, but specifically on Yom Kippur, is to realize what happens when we focus on our Neshtaba, we focus on our, our real authentic self. There's a practice, as you know, that we uh, many people go ahead and they wear white on Yom Kippur. Why do we wear white on Yom Kippur? Purity. Purity. And it's also reminiscent of blood. It's, a, it's, it's an amazing um, tool which Chazal went ahead, or Chazal so went ahead and instituted, because at the time that we need to make ourselves most vulnerable by acknowledging our veras, right, nobody wants to look in the mirror and see all of their flaws. Right? It's, a, it, it's a very unsettling feeling to look in the mirror and to see, I did this wrong, I failed, I, you know, I made these mistakes, all of those, and nobody, nobody wants to go ahead and do so. So before we do any of that, we dress up in white. We say, you know what? I'm, I'm like a mouth. I'm actually higher than a mouth. But I'm at least on the level of a mouth. And when I, when I know that, I, that I'm that good, then it doesn't bother me so much to see those flaws, because even with those flaws, I'm a mouth. And I have that support behind me. I have that, that gives me that resilience and capacity to be able to manage those things because I know that I'm that good. That these flaws, if I get rid of them, I'll be even better. But we don't do it alone by ourselves. We do it specifically in the context of being in a base of Mikdash, dressing like Malachim, so that I can handle the difficulty of acknowledging all of my failures and all of my shortcomings, so that I can ultimately reach that highest level of tshuva of Arashem Lokecha, where I'm completely honest and authentic with myself. Somebody's going to say, yeah. Oh, I was just asking why women don't wear a Do we need to wear a Some do something. It's like a mineral thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a lot. Yeah. Which is not as a popular thing for women to so it's not so much about the sin, it's more like becoming closer to that. Right. But, 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 but we, 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 we use physical things in order to create uh, a mindset. Right. So why do you see that? No, it's, um, you, it's, you know, they were taught that but it's, it's something which is effective. Um, the brain is as smart as the brain is, the brain is in many ways not so smart. You can trick your brain into feeling things uh, in your body, which uh, what you want to feel, not necessarily what you are feeling now. Makes sense. So they 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 they, they talked about um, a, having a smile on your face when your brain registers that there's a smile on your face. So it it puts you your brain into a comfortable, confident state. That's what happens. It knows which muscles are contracting or you know in, in the face. So they actually talk about that when you, before you go for a, a, an interview. I haven't tried it, but I've been interviewed in a while. But they say that if you're going to go for the job interview, you should get there early. That means you go to the bathroom or you go in, take a pen, put in your mouth. The initial portion of the muscle will pop. And if you want to be really confident, you put your feet up like this. <laughs> I don't know. No, no, no. It'll be hard with feet up in the bathroom. No, but then when you, you're already there, so you can just run, you know, hunt the meeting right afterward. But you do, you do the thing with the pen, the pen or the pencil right before, and that forces that smile, and then the brain says everything is okay. 
when the brain says everything is okay and I'm confident that I can connect and I'm confident. It, 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 it affects the changes in your body. That's just the way the, the brain recognizes which muscles are being which muscles are being. What's happening? Really? <laughs> I, I don't know the chemicals. I wish I was a neuroscientist. If you remember the names of all the chemicals, which get figured out at night. But but that's what they said. That you can actually hack the body into into certain uh, into certain states. You want to be alert. You want to be alert, you have to make sure that you inhale longer than you exhale. Like when you run, when you exercise, that, that, that's the breathing pattern when you, when you exercise, is you have stronger inhales than exhales, and if you want to calm down, you want to go to sleep. So it's longer exhales than inhales, longer exhales than inhales. Every time that's a that's duty. What does that have to do with this? Um, so putting on white, so you, putting on white oh, is a hat. So many of the things which we do, the, the, the emotions which we go through, are to create a mindset. They contribute towards creating that mindset. So we, 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 we use those types of things. When, when they talk about, a, you know, take a little of an astro, you know, according to some Russia, they're signs of a victory. Right? So you hold them up, you're shaking them, and you're moving them all over the place. You know, amazing, it's the same person who gives that talk. An amazing thing is that the brain is wired that when you're victorious, right, when you win, your hands go up. How do we know that that's true? Because they have running races with people who are blind from birth. So they've never seen anybody win a race and go like this. And they, they have them run the race. And then when they tell the winner, you won, their arms go up. They've never seen that. They can't, they can't have ever seen that in the life. But the brain is wired because you know, you know what happens when you go like this? You're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. Right? Your, your, your size, we have all sorts of vital organs. You've taken all of your vital organs with your heart and your lung and you've exposed them. Right? When you're scared, what do you do? The ultimate scare is the fetal position. Right? You go into that fetal position, curled up in a ball. But why are you curled up in a ball? It's protection. That way you have the, the, the bones protecting the thing, and that's some protection. So when you could go like this, that's why when you, when you sit up with your feet out like that, you're spreading yourself out, you're making yourself large. So that's a way of saying, I'm not afraid of anything here because I'm bigger, stronger, and I can handle anything which is here. So much so, I'm just going to spread out, and nothing's going to hurt me. So the brain understands it. The brain registers that in the thing and says, so that's why on Sukkot, when we take a little bit of and we're shaking it around, so according to some Russian, it's indicative of the fact that we were victorious. Wow. They describe it as like a din, a fight between the Yehudim and the Ingham Yehudim on Yom Kippur, and they were hoping that as a sign that we were victorious. So that imagery is something which can actually impact, you know, the brain and the brain's, you know, uh, understanding of what's going on in the world. Yeah. Oh, I just a question. When's the last time you could do Tasha? Uh, um, should go by by Yom Kippur. Some people go ahead and do it all the way until um Rama. I'm trying to get it done. Okay, so now so this gets us through to this gets us through Yom Kippur. So Yom Kippur, we're finally more confident enough, we have the inner strength. To be able to face our failures with the understanding that we can do so because we know about our potential. Our potential is very clear to us. And since our potential is very clear to us, it doesn't bother us to admit that we've failed and we've uh, we've fallen and we've made mistakes because 
we can pick up and we can still we can still be great. We still have this small, certainly you still have a that we can actually reach up on his bar. So now you finally get to a formal collective uh, capacity to say vidui. So the vidui which we say on, on Yom Kippur is partially connected to the vidui which we never said on Tishbah. Because while we were in trauma brain, we were too traumatized to be able to think about the Averas, and therefore we had to push it off until we're in a state. Come the end, come, come Yom Kippur, now we're finally in a place where we're back online, the brain is back online, I can acknowledge my mistakes, I can acknowledge my failures, and Vidui is for the fact that we committed those Averas. And then, at the end of Yom Kippur, so what do we do, as we mentioned? Because uh, we're finally confident enough that we've now taken care of the Avera, which we were supposed to, which we were supposed to acknowledge already from Tishabah. Now, Avera Baruch uh, comforted us. He let us know that he loves us unconditionally, that he's not only rejecting us, even when he sends us to exile, destroys the face of Egypt, and he goes back to determining uh, the circumstance of Esther Panin, of concealment, he still loves us unconditionally. And now that we know that, we can finally acknowledge all of that, and we can get ourselves really close, and we can finally say, Rishonah Babi Yishalayim. So Rishonah Babi Yishalayim, at the end of Yom Kippur, is connecting us to Tishabah. That's really the end of Tishabah, because we can finally confess those sins of Boshahara, the, the, uh, the sin of Sinem and all of that. And now, finally, we finish all of that off. So then what happens next? Sukkis. Sukkis. Because what's Sukkis? Right. What are we celebrating? Number one is it's just simple. The Sanatana was said primarily on Sukkot because realizing that I was able to recover from the Alveiros, which caused Kukum Bezamita, that the Prophet actually loves me unconditionally as evidenced by the fact that he forgave us ultimately. So that's a sign of that's a great joy. We weren't rejected. He allowed us to go ahead and to, uh, to fix everything. So that itself is, a, it, it is, is grounds for tremendous amounts of joy, but even more so than that. The primary mitzvah on Sukkot obviously is <laughs> sitting in the Sukkot. What does the Sukkot represent? Why is sitting in the Sukkot something which is so important? There's a lot of reasons. Right. So there's a Pasuk and Shira here. The Biyani Hamalach Badarav. The Biyani Hamalach Badarav means? Right. So the Sukkah is, that is Akash Baruch's place. We go out of our home, Akash Baruch says, come stay by me. Yeah, there is like a Pasuk in Tehillim that says, like, something under a shadow, and the David would How does that connect? But yeah, so, so this happened from saying, I sent you out of here to Israel. But I'm inviting you back into my private chamber. So Hakadosh Baruch says, for these seven days, I want you to go out of your home and I want you to come stay by me. Right. So this is this is this is that's why many of uh, the posts can say that the, the sukkah has has conducive to it is a sacred place, and that's why you're not allowed to behave in the sukkah in a way which is disrespectful to the kedusha which is there. Because it's such a sacred place that this is something you have to recognize. Then they equate it. There's two mitzvahs which they say where a person is completely surrounded by the mitzvah. One is when you go into the mikvah, you have to be completely surrounded by the waters. That's a place of power up and the sukkah. Because you have walls and you have the schaf over you, so you're completely surrounded by the shrina. 
So there it is. So there it is. Hashem Baruch was saying to us, "You did successful tshuva. I'm so proud of you guys. Come, come visit by me." Now, what's Shmini Atzeres? What does Hashem Baruch say to us? You stay back. The rest will go. Who's the rest? The other nations. Right. So on so we bring a whole bunch of korbanos, which we end up bringing 70 bulls. I think it's 70 bulls or 70 sheep. We end up bringing 70 korbanos, and that corresponds in 70 nations. So Sukkot, as much as Sukkot said, the Viani Hamalach Adarab, the Kashbrach was inviting us into his room when we spend time with him, but it's not it's not Yichud. It's not private time, because the other nations are there as well, because we're bringing korbanos on their behalf. When we go from Sukkot into Shmini Atzeret, what happens? The prophet said, the party's over. Everybody can go home. Now, have you ever uh, had a chasna in your family? Yeah. <laughs> At the end of chasna, everybody goes home and who's left? Yeah. Family. Family. And maybe the closest of friends. Yeah. But those are the only people that are there at the end. Yeah. So Shmini Atzeret, yeah, the prophet says, okay, the party's over. So every, all the other nations go home. But there's roughly whispers to Kai, so you know what? Maybe stay that should day. It was very busy. We didn't get a chance to schmooze. We didn't get a chance to uh, to to really connect deeply on focus because there are other things which are going on. So let's have a day where we're just going to dip you and I. Now what's amazing is what's the mitzvah of Shmini Atzeris? Trick question. There is there is no there's, there's, there's no mitzvah to do on, on Shmini Atzeris. Why not? There's a dancing part, you know? Simple stuff. We'll get to that in a second. This is the day before Simple Stuff. The last, she's not We have two days younger at the end of uh, Sukkot. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so we have two we have two days. Uh, this this part of the Torah the, doesn't really work so well. Is that? <laughs> but, but we have, so we have, we have two days. But the, there's no mitzvah to do. Why is there no mitzvah to do? Right, because the mitzvah can end up ultimately be distracted. We get focused on the mitzvah, and we can be distracted from Hashem. Hashem says, just our relationship. What do I do on Shemini Yasser? Um, nothing you'll do with the rest of us. I mean, if, uh, if you could find an Israeli minion, you'd, uh, you know, you dance like Kapos or some of the Sarah. typically will do some of on Shemini Yasser as well. That is a day of Shemini for, for us, it's easier for us because we have just the day of Shemini Atzeris and then just the day of Simon Stower. We don't have to try and slam it all into one day. So Shemini Atzeris is no mitzvah to do because the point of the day is just to be together with HaKadosh Baruch No mitzvahs which could be a distraction, just time to spend time uh, together. Now, how does Simon Stower fit into this? Because what connects us ultimately to HaKadosh Baruch so Simchas Torah, the reason why the, the calendar of, of finishing the Torah every year was designed to finish on Simchas Torah is because the, the end of Sukkot, which is completing the cycle which began all the way on Shivasa Batamus, when we first began to mourn Korban Beis So from Shivasa Batamus all the way until Simchas Torah, that's one journey. One single journey which Kalei Yisrael is on, which is downs and ups and all of that. But we're going to end up on the highest note where we feel connected to Hashem in this profound way, this very profound way, and that profound way allows us to be able to relate to Hashem directly, and we celebrate our relationship with Hashem. 
That's what the day ultimately is about. That's what the Yontif is about, is to celebrate just simply the fact that we have an opportunity to connect with the Kodesh He's the Mela, we are his subjects, all of those things which we've learned and all those things which we, which we have absorbed. That's why it's called that service. It's the time to gather together all of the lessons and all the things that have happened until then into just being. One of the hardest things in the world to do is to just be. I don't know how adventurous any of you are, uh, but if you're somewhat adventurous in your into self-discovery, you should find, I think they still have them here somewhere, but you should find one of those sensory deprivation things. You know what a sensory deprivation thing is? In room for a couple hours. So it's not even a room. It's more exciting than that. So they go ahead and they put you into this chamber, which has salt water like the Dead Sea, mm -hmm. so that you float. So you're not feeling anything on your body. The water temperature is set at your skin temperature, so you don't feel. It's not like cold or hot or anything like that. So you're just floating there, and they put the cover down on you, and there's no sound, and there's no light. Okay. It's just you without any of your senses. So it's just you and your brain. Sensory deprivation. I'm actually talking about They're watching. They make sure that you don't jump. So you don't jump. 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 Don't it's like two minutes. It's two minutes. It's like half an hour. How can it only be two minutes? Because you never have that experience of actually not having any sensory input into your into your brain. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to experience. But that's that's what Shminatzeris is. Shminatzeris is. But Hans Barucho says we're not going to get distracted by mitzvahs. We're just going to be you and I together, and we're just going to relate. We're just going to sit in one another's company. Sometimes one of, the, one of the things which is the most powerful way of, of capturing a meaningful relationship with a person is not what you talk about, but the ability to be together without talking. Being able to be together without talking is something which says we can just be together, we can be together without having to discuss anything, without having to eat anything, without having to go home with a bunch of movies, we can just be in silence. And that's what Shkina Atzeris is about. That's what we get to do on Shkina Atzeris, which is no mitzvah to do. And then we realize, and so, so we have an opportunity to say, the means by which we connect to our Baruch Hu is Torah. So that's why, that's why uh, Simchus Torah is different than Shavuos. Right? Both Simchus Torah and Shavuos are celebrations of Torah, but Shavuos is we learn Torah, Simchus Torah is we dance with the Torah. Why don't we learn Torah? If we want to say, if we want to have Simchus Torah, why not spend the whole day learning? Because you just love it so much that you just said that. This is how we connect, and we're just going to be we're going to be happy being together without having to study. It's a, di it's a different experience. One is a very intellectual experience, the other is a very emotional experience. So we're celebrating the fact that we have an opportunity to connect up as broken with the Torah. So it's not about knowing Torah. Nothing at all to do about knowing Torah. We're not celebrating how much Torah you studied last year. Doesn't matter how much Torah you studied last year. Simchas Torah is a celebration of the fact that Hafez Barakul said, I want to relate to you, and I'm going to give us this thing which is going to allow us to connect. And that's why we say, we, that, that's why it's such a, a joyous and happy time, because this is the ultimate tikkun for everything. 
because a Gavarku would, because now the relationship is back to where it should be. He's the Melech, we're the Abadim, we're the Banim, we're his children, and we have such a deep and profound relationship that we could just be, and we could be happy and joyous, just be, without anything else. And that's, you know, the, uh, that's how all of the young couple, as I said, from Shivasa Matam was all the way through Sintasavara, so that's the journey which, you know, one should be mindful that they are on, and that's what we're trying to get. So right now, we're in the Asir Kamei Chuba, so we know we're working towards getting ourselves to the level of Malafin on Hashem Elokecha, where ultimately we're going to repair, we're going to acknowledge and repair the Tinefrinam and the Lashon Hara and fix all that stuff in Tishabah, Culminating with the son of Abishai, that's why the highlight of Yom Kippur is when it's over, not because we're about to eat, but because we finally feel that we've now made amends for what our, the, the destructive process was. And then afterwards, we transition immediately into the great joy, knowing that we, we successfully fixed things. We're more authentic within ourselves, we're more real within ourselves. And with that newfound authenticity and real, of being real with ourselves that allows us to connect to Baruch on such a deeper level, which culminates in the simcha of being able to relate to Akash Baruch on that uh, deep and profound level. Hopefully, we should uh, we should be zokha to uh, be able to appreciate and uh, acknowledge and feel uh, reaching every one of those milestones along the way, between now until the Simcha uh, Sara, and then whenever we meet the uh, class after uh, after Simcha Sara. I can't wait to hear about how all of your your Yom Kippur was, your Sukkot was, your Shemina Saras, and your Sukkot Sara, and uh, how much uh, better, more confident you feel in your relationship with Adam Thank you. And in the meantime, have a wonderful time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, great. Thank you. 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 Thank you.